five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast in partnership with Kidney Care UK, sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. My name is Dee Moore, and I am a stage four kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate, and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, chronic illnesses, and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. My guest today from Hawaii is kidney health advocate Judy Aiken. Judy joins me for an interview in two parts. In the first part of the interview, Judy shares her kidney warrior story. And in the second part of the interview, Judy and I speak about the subject of chronic illness, grieving the self. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior, the podcast. How are you doing today, Judy? I'm doing great. Good, good. Or should I say aloha? Aloha. (laughs) Yes, listeners, Judy is all the way from Hawaii. So I had to take the opportunity to speak the only Hawaiian I know, which is aloha. Welcome to the podcast. It is wonderful to have you here. This interview actually has been one that I've been waiting a while actually to arrange this with yourself. And this whole episode was inspired by a post by Judy on her Instagram page. And Judy was talking about grieving the self and having a chronic illness and life changing and how that affects you. And we're going to talk a bit more about that because we're going to do this interview in two parts today. So the first part of the interview we're going to talk about your story. So we're going to look at Judy's Kidney Warrior story. And as everyone knows, I love recording Kidney Warrior stories. And then we're going to talk about, as I said, the subject that was inspired by Judy, which is grieving the self. So we'll start, as we always do, with my first question. And this is, how did your Kidney Warrior journey begin? And how were you diagnosed? So my kidney warrior journey began in the summer of 2019. I had moved back to my hometown and decided to go back to a PC that I had seen pretty regular in the past. I went to her about 10 years prior. And so I scheduled an appointment with her where things came up, had to cancel it, scheduled another one, had to cancel it. Finally, the third one was able to get in and see her and her first thing out of her mouth when she saw me was we need to get your blood pressure under control. So we need to find out what's causing your high blood pressure. At the time I was averaging about 180 over 90. That was my average blood pressure. So yeah. Yes. (laughs) So finding out what was causing that was key for her. So she ran a full panel, did all the blood tests. Went in a week later, she walked into the office and said that I was in stage three chronic kidney disease like complete shock. Never in a thousand years would have I guessed I had chronic kidney disease. We then sat down and we talked about what we were going to do next. And she said, the thing that we need to find out is if the blood 
pressure is causing the kidney disease or if the kidney disease is causing the blood pressure. So she referred me to a nephrologist. Unfortunately, the nephrologist wasn't going to be able to see me until September. And at the time, my GFR was about 34. And my creatinine was about, I want to say 1.5, 1.6. So <laughs> I left the office and I kind of was just in the wait and see stage. About mid end of July, I had a mini stroke and was put into the hospital. Oh my goodness. And the 4th of July, my blood pressure went up to 200 over 100. Oh my goodness. So which ultimately probably put me in that mini stroke. So at the time I was at the hospital where the nephrologist that I was referred to was he's stationed out of. So they did blood test and it my that point my GFR was down to about 25 and my creatinine was about 2. Point, it was it was hitting the 2.0 range. So my PC and my nephrologist got together. My PC was actually on vacation and she got the result and she started calling my nephrologist and was like, you have to see this girl right away as soon as possible. So his office called me and was able to get me an appointment the first weekend of August. So around August 9th. And I went in to see him and he said, we're going to run more labs. I want you to go do labs. This was a Friday. He's like, I want you to come back on Monday and we're going to discuss our next steps. So Saturday morning, I woke up, did labs. The following Monday, I went in. We walked into the office, me and my husband. We sat down. He walked in and said, we're admitting you. We're going to admit you to the hospital. And was telling me why my GFR was 22. My creatinine was 2.5. He said, we're going to admit you to the hospital. We're going to put you on high doses of steroids. And we are going to do a biopsy. And my husband, knowing that everything was going to change at this point, looked at my nephrologist and said, can I take her for one last cheeseburger? <laughs> and, my, <laughs> and my nephrologist said, you know what? Go home, get your stuff, go have dinner with your family, have a cheeseburger. Just don't tell anybody I told you you could. <laughs> and then come back and admit yourself to go into the ER and they'll admit you through the ER. So that's what we did. We went home. We grabbed my son. We grabbed my mom. We went to dinner. I, we explained to my son at the time was just turned six. He had just turned six years old. And we sat down with him and we explained to him what was going to happen, why mommy wasn't going to be home, which was extremely hard for him. We are very, very, very close. And we, up until these situations, I had never spent a night away from my son. And so they all took me to the emergency room. I said goodbye to my son, which was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, listening to him scream and cry in just full-blown tantrum as he was basically walking away with my mom. And then I was admitted to the hospital and I was put on 500 milligrams of steroids for three days. 500. <laughs> wow. Mm -hmm. I did, I did 1500 milligrams of steroids over three days. Oh my God. So it was a lot, but I felt great. I felt amazing. I felt like I could conquer the world. Like I was confused why I was in the hospital because I was like, I feel amazing. Why am I here? Wow. So I had a biopsy the next day. And the day after that, my nephrologist came in 
and he informed me that I had a rare disease, which was called IgA nephropathy. It's an autoimmune disease that attacks the kidneys. So basically the hemoglobin A goes after your kidneys, inflames, it's all inflammation related. So the prognosis itself at that point was very bleak because my kidneys did drop function so rapidly. I was being prepared for dialysis. I was being prepped for dialysis. I did a class to teach me about the different types of dialysis, transplants, all that stuff. Everything was preparing me to go on dialysis. And it was probably the hardest thing for me was realizing that I have this chronic illness that's incurable and on top of it has no treatment. And... The whole range of emotion comes into play. It all comes into play. But the one thing that stayed constant for me was like, no, I'm going to live to see my son turn 18. It instantly became a goal. My goal was 18. I have to make it to 18. So I took the classes. I did a whole bunch of research. In November of 2019, I decided to go completely plant-based. So I was doing high doses of prednisone where I started at 60 milligrams and every month I would go down by 10 milligrams, depending on my kidney function. So by 2020, March of 2020 was when COVID all started. (laughs) My GFR was at 34. My creatinine was, I believe, low one. I want to say it was around the 1.0 mark. And I got laid off from work. And that with the plant phase. And not working, like within the first month of me not working, my GFR went up to 44. Wow. My creatinine went down to 1.4. So it must have been higher before. Sorry. It was higher before because it was 1.4. That with the plant base and the not working just was really a big revelation to me because it made me realize that it wasn't just the food. It was also the stress because I worked a very stressful job (laughs) and just not being in that environment, how much that alone improved my kidney function. So that summer of August of 2020, I was also diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and Hashimoto's disease, which is, you know, with autoimmune disease, it's like once you get one, you kind of fall into getting the other ones. They just kind of happen. And then this past summer, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. But I was taken off of prednisone June of 2021. So currently for my kidney disease, all I'm doing is following a plant-based diet. I'm taking omega-3s and D3. And that's pretty much all I'm doing medication-wise for my chronic kidney disease. And I'm considered stable in my baseline of 40 to 45 with my creatinine about 1.4, which it's a lot of work. (laughs) It took a lot of work. It took a lot of work and a lot of commitment to get where I am. And I have to stay committed because as soon as I flutter, the GFR starts dropping. We have seen it a few times where it has started to kind of like fall. And then I go, okay, I got to get back on that following my diet platform. So that is how I started this whole journey. (laughs) with chronic illness. (laughs) Wow. That is Wow. I mean, what a story. <laughs> I mean, to hear your blood pressure was so high, like, oh my mm-hmm. god, that is just, you know, for anyone listening, I'm trying to remember what the normal range of blood pressure is. It's like between 
well, I suppose it depends on the age of the person, so it's difficult to mm-hmm. give like a. But two hundred is high, 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 like ridiculous, ridiculously high. I mean, it's a miracle that yeah. you're here and to actually have a mini stroke and everything that you've been through. Wow, that is just my mind's absolutely, absolutely blown. And I do want to mention that I'm not even on blood blood pressure medicine right now because I've been able to stabilize myself in a baseline. So what they say, where they want you to be is 120 over 80. My baseline for blood pressure is 110 over, I never remember. I want to say like 75, I think is the lowest they want me to go on that side. And then 130 over 80, like 85. So most of the time I stay in that baseline. They took me off blood pressure medicine because my blood pressure was actually too low. And it was starting to lower my GFR because my blood pressure was too low. So they just took me off the blood pressure medicine. And it really is about finding that balance for you as an individual, Mm -hmm. isn't it? It's like, this is why it's, it's so important to know your body and what is normal for you as an individual. Because people can give advice, which is fine for them, but not fine for you. So to know what your baseline is and what you need and what works for you is vital, so important. And for you to actually come off blood pressure medication, I mean, kudos to you for that, because that is not an easy thing to do. And yeah, it just goes to show it is possible. It's not easy, but it is possible to make massive differences. And that is a humongous difference. So kudos to you for achieving that. It's Thank, amazing. You. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. So now that we've heard your story and heard how your kidney warrior journey began and how you were diagnosed, I want to move on to the topic of this episode, which is chronic illness, grieving the self. And as I said before, this was actually inspired by a post that you posted on social media. And hearing everything that you've been through and the different chronic illnesses that you have. So you've got kidney disease and you touched on the other chronic illnesses that you have. I can only imagine what a difference it has made to your life, your life before compared to your life now. And we're talking about grieving the self. So what does that mean to you in terms of grieving the self and coming to terms with your life as it is now? compared to what it was before? So with grieving the self, I really feel like when you're diagnosed with a chronic illness or terminal illness, you lose a huge part of who you were. You start to realize that the person you were before the diagnosis is not the same person you're going to be after the diagnosis. So much changes in your life because of chronic illness and grieving the self is really about giving yourself that freedom and that space to mourn who you used to be. And it's different than regular grief because with regular grief, you grieve the person that you've lost. And over time that grief gets easier and that grief kind of subsides and it's always still there, but it's not such a big focus as it used to be right after you lost the person. With grieving the self, you're constantly grieving. With 
new diagnosis, new symptoms, things that you realize you can no longer do anymore. Every time you have to add a medical device to help you in your day, you are again reminded of who you are not. And you are forced to grieve that person over and over and over and over again. And it takes a huge toll on our mental health. And it's something that I don't think people who don't live with chronic illness will ever understand. They can never grasp the concept of what it feels like to be in a constant state of grief. There's an expression that says, who feels it knows it. And Mm -hmm. I can understand what you're saying because I have a chronic illness. I have kidney disease and someone might be listening and thinking, well, well, what is the difference? Why do you have to grieve? Like, you know, you're alive, you have life. So, you know, what's the problem? You know, when they say, oh, it could be worse or there's people that are worse than you and we're going through worse than what you're going through. And that may be true, but it's not helpful. And it doesn't actually address what you as an individual are going through. And I honestly do relate to what you're saying, because like you said, with each stage that you have to deal with. And when I say like when you first get diagnosed and and then like for me, they were saying in the beginning that it might be acute. So this was something temporary and I would get better. But over time, no. I was diagnosed as chronic. So it was then having to kind of go from this is something I'm going to recover from to something that I have to live with for the rest of my life. And like you said, it's that first initial grieving process of, oh my gosh, my life is now different for the rest of my life. This is it. And then once you kind of come to terms with that, it's the effect of the medication. For myself, I was put on high doses of steroids I thought I was on high dose until I heard 500 I mean my goodness that's just wow but then my body changed and I looked different and then it was like because for me prior to CKD I was training four times a week and you know my body and I looked very different because you know like for me I've got other chronic illnesses that make it difficult to lose weight and I'd actually successfully lost weight and I was like yeah you know feeling good about myself and then I'm put on these steroids and boom now I look Mm -hmm. different and then I'm grieving the loss of all that hard work and everything that went into it and and so I know what you mean it's like you get the first thing you've got to deal with that and then the second and then the the thousand thing that you have to deal with because this disease has entered your life and I absolutely get it but how do we deal with it how do you navigate this grief? How do you come to the point of, if we're looking at the stages of grieving, you know, the anger and the bargaining and the mm-hmm. and the denial and the different stages. And I, and I know from my interview with Dr. Dalroy Hall that those stages aren't necessarily you go through one and then the other and the other. They can happen mm-hmm. at different times and you can go back to that. And the episode I'm making reference to is episode six, chronic illness and mental health, if you want to listen to that episode for anyone listening. But how do you navigate that grief? How do you get to the point where you're like grieving, but you're not being self-destructive? 
I think with grieving the self, it's a little different than regular grief in the sense that the stages are all messed up. Yeah. It's, you know, for me, I never really went through the denial phase. I was like, I went straight to acceptance. It was like, yes, I have these diseases. This is what's wrong with me. And I didn't get to anger probably until about three or four months into it. And it was really the, when I was on the steroids that kind of did it to me because steroids, naturally the medication elevates your anger anyway. So I was in a state of anger for probably about a good six months. Probably the whole time I was on the higher doses of steroids, I was in a state of anger. And a lot of that is because my body did change so much and I couldn't control my emotions. And I became this whole other person that I never wanted to be. That in itself played such a huge role on me mentally. I mean, to this day, I live with so much guilt from that time that you have to allow yourself though. You have to allow yourself to feel these things. You have to be okay with being angry and being sad and depressed because it's all part of it. And as soon as you stop it and you stifle it and you sink it, push it deep down and just ignore it. When it finally does come out, it's going to be a hundred times worse. I agree with that. Totally. So you have to allow yourself to do the grieving stages and you, and every single time that you're going to go through it, because like I said, you are, you're going to go through it over and over and over again. For example, I'm going on a sleep apnea machine. So I'm dealing with that. My whole sleep is going to be different than it was. The way I like to sleep is different. I'm not going to be able to sleep in certain positions. I'm not going to be able to snuggle my face into my pillow like I like to do. So it's just another here we go again, I'm going to have to deal with this change in my life. And to some people, it seems very small and very silly. But those little things that we love to do for ourselves, those are huge. Those are huge things. And they're also reminders that we're sick. It's the constant being reminded that we are not the person we were before. So you have to accept the grief. You have to allow it to come in. You have to go through the stages. You have to be okay with yourself being angry. Be okay with yourself being depressed. I mean, I have stood in the mirror and yelled at myself because I've been so angry that I have these diseases. But I did want to go back to your comment when you were talking about when people say, oh, other people have it worse. I think one of the things that was the hardest for me when I first got diagnosed was the number of people that told me, well, at least it's not cancer. (sighs) And you have to remember that those little comments play a part in our grieving as well, because now we're basically feeling like, oh, well, I shouldn't be that sad and that upset because, oh, other people do have it worse. But when you really look at your own diseases, to you, those diseases are the worst things ever. And so when you're going through the first finding out about your diagnosis, you really have to kind of get a thick skin and ignore those comments and allow yourself to still grieve because those comments will play a part in keeping people from grieving the way that they need to grieve. 
And so we really have to watch, and I think it's everybody, it's even people in our own community, we really have to watch what we're saying to other people. I mean, I've seen people in our chronic illness community compete with each other. It's like, we really have to watch what we're saying and understand that everybody is doing the best they can with the diagnosis that they have. And to them, that diagnosis is the worst thing. Yes. And allow those people to go through the stages. I agree a thousand percent. I think, like you said, being okay with grieving and being okay with not being okay, as I would normally Mm -hmm. say. But like you said, if you try and fast forward the process or stifle the process or ignore the process or allow somebody to belittle that process, like you said, it is just going to explode and it's going to be so much more destructive to the self and to other people than if you Mm -hmm. actually take the time to and it's so important to get counsel or get mental health support from a counselor or a psychologist or psychiatrist you know a professional person that can help you navigate that because like you said it is so destructive to expect somebody to hear that kind of life-changing news and not expect that that person is going to be angry or upset or depressed Mm -hmm. or any of those things that we've discussed. So I I absolutely agree with you 1000%. The best thing my doctors did from the get-go, they were like, you need to get therapy. You need to be in therapy. You are going to need support and outside of your regular support system, you need support that's going to be impartial is going to be honest with you. And that was probably the best advice I got. And there is programs here, fortunately, that allow kidney disease patients to get added therapy and added support. And I I mean, I meet with a therapist, a psychiatrist, a social worker. I have a really good four people that check in on me on a regular basis that are outside of my family and friends. And those are the people that I really feel like I can be honest with and talk to about my feelings. And they're going to be honest with me. And it's made this grieving process so much easier. I think that too, with the family, it's kind of like a double-edged sword because they're also grieving you. True. They're going through their own grieving process with you. For example, like me and my husband, totally different. I was the breadwinner for years. I worked a very high stress 10 hour a day job. He was a chef in a kitchen. You know, it flipped when I got sick, you know, especially when I got laid off and we decided that I wasn't going to go back to work full time and I was going to try to get on disability. All this pressure that he's never had to feel is now on him. And he's not used to that. He's not used to that pressure. He's not used to having to be the only person making money. So he's going through his own thing. So I can't really be putting my stuff on top of that because he is, he's grieving the person he married. I'm not the person he married. I'm a completely different person. And so he's going through his own grieving process. So we really have to, take that into account when 
we're going through our grieving process, not to, not to make ours less important because ours is very, very important. But I think that's why it's easier to have a different set of people that you can talk to outside of your family so that you're not putting your grief on top of them as well. Absolutely. I agree with that. So what advice would you give to somebody who is starting that grieving process or may never even actually have thought of it that way, who might be listening to this podcast and thinking, actually, that's what I'm going through now. I'm, I'm grieving. What advice would you give to that person? First of all, I would tell them to get mental help. I, I would tell them, find a therapist that you're comfortable with talking to, find a support group, find, you know, go on the social medias, look for your illness, find support groups through there, because those are people that are going to be able to help you through this grieving process and help you understand why you're feeling the way that you're feeling. Another one is be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself. Allow yourself to feel the emotions that you need to feel and not have guilt for it afterwards and not be angry at yourself for feeling those things. You have to feel the things that you're going to feel, be it depression, anger, denial, whatever you're going to feel, you have to allow yourself to feel that without feeling bad for it or feeling angry at yourself for feeling those things. Be kind to yourself. That is probably the biggest thing that I can say to people is just be kind to yourself because you're going to have enough people out there being mean to you. You need to be kind to yourself and allow yourself to go through it because you're going to meet with people that do not understand why you're so angry and do not understand why you're so depressed. So you need to be accepting of your feelings and be kind to yourself for that reason. Thank you. That is excellent (laughs) advice. Thank you. You touched on people that may say insensitive things to you while you're going through this process or even other chronic illness warriors who might be competitive or, oh, I'm more sick than you or whatever the insensitive or inappropriate Mm -hmm. comment may be. What would be a good way of responding to people who are not necessarily being that sensitive? Going back to what I said, you know, somebody who might say, and like what you said as well, they might say to you, oh, well, it could be worse. It could be X, Y, or Z. What would be a good way to respond to that? I always use those moments as educational teaching moments. They're teaching moments to me. I really look at those moments as an opportunity for me to teach people about my illness, about my process. I had a family member say, well, Lisa's not cancer. And I took that moment as my cue to explain to her why, no, it's not cancer, but it's just as bad. Because a lot of cancers, they have plans for those cancers. They have a treatment plans. They have a formula of what to do for them. A disease like mine has no formula. The treatments we get put on are not for our disease. They're for the symptoms. So there's no formula to treat my disease. 
And I think once we explain that to people, they kind of understand and they start to realize that their comment was really not appropriate. So I would say as best as you can, don't get angry because they don't mean it maliciously. They just, a lot of people do not understand. They just don't understand. And of course, you're going to get the people that are malicious. Yes, there are people out there that are just being bullies and just being mean. And those people I just ignore. I do my best to ignore them. I have been on lives where I've had people come in and try to egg me on and get me upset by saying comments like that. And I just don't even give them the time or the energy because that's really what they're wanting from you is they want you to be upset. They want you to get angry. And as long as we're allowing those people to do that and make us angry and get a reaction out of us, they're going to keep doing it. So for the people that are purely doing it out of malice, I just ignore them. I just shut them down and I don't give them my energy. But like I said, most cases, I think it's just ignorance. I think it's just people not understanding your disease, especially when you live with rare diseases that people have never even heard of. They have no clue or concept what's going on with you. So use that as your teaching moment. That is your time to spread awareness for your disease. Thank you. So again, for people who might not understand, when we're looking at our life before, so when you look at your life before compared to what it is now, what is the difference so that people can understand what it exactly is that you're grieving or that I'm grieving or somebody with a chronic illness is grieving? So I think the best way for me to explain this is I'm going to describe to you how my life was before. Before I was sick, I was a manager in catering. I did events. I loved events. Events were my passion. They're very physical. When you work in the event world, it's a lot of physical work. I was an extremely active mom. I went hiking with my son. I mean, up until he was three, I would hike with him on my back. And I would do hikes that were to some people were very challenging. I would go on date hikes with my husband where we would do nine hour hikes and go up ridges that I never thought in a million years I would do, but I was doing them. I can't do any of those things anymore. I physically cannot do those things anymore. So when I talk about grieving myself, that's what I'm grieving. I'm grieving that person, that person that would fire dance, that person that would go out and dance all night long and without a second thought, the person that would plant work a 12 to 16 hour day setting up an event so that a bride could have her dream wedding, the person that would go on crazy long adventures with my son, be it to the zoo walking around or to the park and we would run around for hours or doing hikes or going to the beach and being in the ocean. That is the person that I'm grieving every single day. And every single day I have reminders of that person and it just, it just wrecks me pretty much every day of my life. I mean, my son the other day was like, are we ever going to go hiking again, mom? And I said, well, you can go hiking with your dad. I can't do it because I don't have the confidence to go on a hike because I don't know if I'm going to make it back down or if I fall and hurt myself, I could easily break something. So I can't take that risk with him. The other thing is food. <laughs> and this is going to sound yeah. really silly, 
this is going to sound really silly. And this one to me was huge. This one I had probably the food has been one of the hardest things to accept because it took a long time for me to develop a good relationship with food. And it was a lot of time wasted. And I grieve that. I grieve that all the time. Every time my son has a cheese pizza and I can't take a bite of it, or every time my husband grills up baby back ribs for my family and I'm sitting there with my little tofu, it makes me angry. And you know when I get the angriest the most? Times that I get the angriest the most are the holidays. Because, you know, in America, we have Thanksgiving. That is my favorite. And it's not for anything but the food. Thanksgiving's my favorite just for the food. Everything else with Thanksgiving, I can kind of pass aside, but the food, the food, like all the food of Thanksgiving is just, I get so angry at Thanksgiving because we still do, my family still does the turkey and all the fixings and all the good food. And I sit there with a portobello Wellington, which is good, which is really good. Do not get me wrong. It is really good, but it's not the same. It is not the same or Christmas when they're having prime rib and I'm sitting here with the same thing that I had on Thanksgiving because it's really hard to come up with really good entree ideas that would go along with what they're having. Those days I always end up fighting with my family because I know it's that deep down internal grief bitterness that I have because I don't get to eat the foods that I want to eat. And that has been extremely challenging and again, extremely hard for me to accept because I did waste so much time. I can only imagine how challenging that is because, you know, some people say, oh, well, you can't eat, but in moderation, this, that and the other. But again, going back to my original point, it's as individual as the individual and what you have Mm -hmm. to do is very different to what others have to do. And for yourself, you found a way that is working. Your kidney function is really, really good. Mm-hmm. Like um, low-key jealousy a bit, like not in a bad way, but would love to have that level of kidney function myself. <laughs> <laughs> but um, And I hope you're, you know, continue to increase mm-hmm. and rise. But it comes at a cost and that is that mm-hmm. cost. And like you said, you're reminded when everyone's tucking into whatever it might be, that you're making this sacrifice because you want to be here and you want your health to be good. But it doesn't make it any easier when you're reminded by this. I mean, myself, I gave up red meat because I oh, I love Caribbean oxtail. There's so many different things that I love. And yeah, I, I don't eat it anymore because it's like, well, mm-hmm. it's not helpful for my kidneys. You know, I'm trying to, you know, look after myself. But it isn't easy. It is very hard. And like you said, before you'd eat those things and not think anything of it like, mm-hmm. and just enjoy it and just be eaten along with everybody else. And like you said, your new life, completely different. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, when you were saying about the little things, I think the so-called little things, because I don't think they are little, but I think mm-hmm. the so-called little things become more important or more visible or more painful because it is because you've lost so much it's like mm-hmm. you've lost control over so many things in your life that at least let me have this kind of thing and losing that then becomes even worse because it's like I can't even choose what pillow I have or 
sleep in the position that I want to and I've already lost how much kidney function or I've already lost X, Y and Z. And yeah, it does become so much more significant because you've lost so much. So I absolutely get it. But I think it, mm-hmm. you know, it is important that you see this grieving process through. It's not about staying in it. And although you might revisit it however many times you need to revisit it because you're now dealing with something new, I still think it's important to see it through because otherwise mm-hmm. you're stuck, aren't you? You're just stuck in that same place and in that same position. And it is so important to keep going, keep pushing through. You know, you might be feeling that anger today and you've allowed yourself to feel the anger, but now it's about the next stage, like moving forward, because we want to be here. We want to have a good quality of life. And if you're stuck in that position, you're not going to have that quality of life. Exactly. You're not, you are not going to, you know, it's hard. People will not understand. People will not understand. People who are not going through it are not going to understand. But it's such an important part of what we deal with to be able to go through those stages, be able to be, be allowed to be angry, allow yourself to be angry, allow yourself to be depressed. Do we stay in those places? No, we don't stay in those places. And that's why we do the grieving processes. So we don't stay in those places. So we can come to a place of acceptance where we can be okay. And I'm not going to say be happy because none of us are happy with our conditions. We're never going to be happy with where we are in our lives with our diseases. We're not. If we could change it, would we? Yes, we would. We would change it in a heartbeat. If we could take our diseases away, we would take our diseases away. The thing is, is that we can't. So we have to accept and we just have to live our life the best that we can. And we need to go through that grieving process so that we can get to that point where we can get to the point that we are okay. We are okay. We accept that this is how it's going to be. We accept that this is our life. We're going to do everything that we can in our power to make it the best life we can. But this is the cards that we have been dealt. And these are the things that we have been given. So we have to really make those things okay so that we can live our life. We can live it to the best that we can. And so we can still be moms. We can still be wives. We can still be husbands. We can still be sons, daughters, whatever. We can still be those people and still live the life, you know, that we can live to the best of our abilities. Absolutely. And I think in many ways, what you've just said is also excellent advice for people who are living with somebody who is going through that chronic illness grieving process. Mm -hmm. Because I think that although we say, you know, they won't understand, they won't understand because they're not going through it. I think this, it's still important for them to hear what you've just said, because Mm -hmm. underneath it all, we do, I still want to be the mother, the wife, the friend, the sister, the Mm -hmm. auntie, the, the worker, the whatever that I was before in the best way that I can now. And I think that is an excellent way to describe it. It's not going to be the same. 
but it's the best that we mm-hmm. can do under the circumstances of everything that we go through. Because I think part of helping people to understand is actually giving people an insight into what we go through. You spoke about the anger that you experienced because of the steroids. People might not realise that, you know, steroids causes anger. Roid rage, as they call it. Yep. (laughs) That's an after effect. That's just one of the many things that people with chronic illnesses have to face and have to go through. There's the anger, there's the tiredness, the mood swings, the, when I say tiredness, I mean sheer exhaustion. Just getting out of bed can be absolutely exhausting. Mm-hmm. Managing to get up, have a shower might be all somebody is capable of for that day. For another person, they might not even be able to get out of bed that day. These are challenges that people with chronic illnesses face on a daily basis. And how would they feel if they had to face that? This is what people with chronic illnesses go through. So yes, it is so important to acknowledge that and support through that process, even though you might not understand everything, but just take a step back and think, actually, my loved one is doing really, really well, despite everything Mm -hmm. that they're going through. I think a big one too is when people see us out and they see us doing things, it's not because we're not sick. It's not because we don't feel horrible. It's because we're pushing through it so that we can be that person. So we can be at least a small portion of the person that we used to be. I do dancing videos on TikTok. And I can't tell you how many times I've got the comment, well, how sick can you be if you're doing a dancing video? Wow. And it's like, it's a 30 second video. It's, It's usually no more than 30 seconds. And that shouldn't be slammed. That should be celebrated. Yeah. It should be celebrated because that is me pushing through everything to still be a little tiny bit of the person that I used to be just a little bit of the person that I used to be. And usually after I'm done making those videos, I'm usually exhausted and done. And that's why I don't do very many of them is because they take a lot out of me. But we should be celebrating those moments because those are the moments that in our big, huge life of disease and symptoms and side effects and everything that we live with those little moments are just little pieces of who we used to be coming through and they should be celebrated absolutely so i know that you're very active on social media when it comes (laughs) to advocacy and raising awareness so where can people follow you and find you online So I am currently on TikTok and Instagram, and both of those are Judy's Journey Hawaii. And then on Facebook, I'm just under my name, which is Judy Aiken. So can you repeat that again for the listeners? Okay, so TikTok and Instagram is Judy's Journey Hawaii. And on Facebook, it is my name, Judy Aiken. Thank you. So make sure you follow Judy I want you to actually find all of her dancing videos and make sure you leave a good, good, good comment on there and like the comment because 
it is a celebration. Those things that people see and they see a smile on your face, but they don't realize what a victory it is and what you've had to overcome to do it. So as I said, let's find those videos and like every single one of them and and show Judy some love and support. Thank you. (laughs) So I'd like to end with a final word for the listeners, a word of encouragement for somebody who is going through that grieving process. How do they find their way through it? How do they get to that point of overcoming and being victorious and acceptance? How do they get through it? Know that you're not alone. Know that there's a whole community of us out here that are going through the same thing that you're going through and that we understand. So find your people, find your people, connect with other people that are in the chronic illness community. Look for the support groups because we are the ones that know what you're going through and how you feel. And we all need a community. We all need our little village of people that are there that understand how we're feeling and that some days we're not going to be cheery and happy. Some days we're going to be angry and we're going to be mad. And you know what? That's okay. It's okay to be angry and mad. And it's okay to be sad and depressed. And it's okay to be happy. You're allowed to be happy too. And understand that and know that it's okay. Whatever you're feeling is okay. It's all part of the process. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing your story, for sharing such amazing advice and for inspiring this episode and talking about something that I really think we need to talk more about because people need to know that what they're going through is normal. All of us as chronic illness warriors are going through it, as kidney warriors are going through it. So thank you so much for inspiring this episode and for shedding light on such an important, important topic. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. And don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend. New episodes of this podcast are released every other Monday. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kitty Warrior. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love.